what's up and welcome to another world-class event here at Up There Athletics in the heart of Melbourne. I'm your host, Riley, and tonight, thanks to Pillar Performance, we're here for a conversation with generational Australian talent, Stewie McSwain. We've got an audience about to come through the doors. Stewie's ready to go. Let's get stuck into it. Enjoy. Guys, this is like a, you know, this is a really unique opportunity, right? Um, Stewie's a, a, a Melbourne Melbourne local, lives not far from here, but we don't really get that many opportunities to kind of sit down in a room and chat with him or sort of see him out and about. Um, I think the last chance a lot of us got to spend time with Stewie was at the uh, Melbourne Marathon after party. Uh, never forget. Uh, but anyway, he doesn't need much introduction, but a uh, round of applause for Stewie McSwain. <laughs> Mate, thanks for your time. Uh, how are you? How's everything going? Um, yeah, firstly, thanks for having me, guys. It's awesome to be here, and um, thanks for up there as well. It's an um, awesome shop. Um, I'll definitely have to come check it out again. Um, but, yeah, I'm going well. Um, back in full training the last month, so um, just getting ready for the European season. So hopefully we can, um, yeah, keep getting fitter and hopefully have a have an, a pretty good European season in, I think I head over in about a month, so not too long to go. Um, we should, of course, list off a bunch of Stewie's accolades for any uh, any sort of first-timers, but... Olympic finalist, uh, world champs representative. Uh, how many Oceania records? Three, maybe, at the moment. 15 mile, 3K. Uh, how many Diamond Leagues have you won? A couple? Um, yeah, I think a couple, yeah. Four, maybe? Anyway. Um, hey, last time we saw you was, uh, was at Box Hill. Um, obviously, kind of pulled out of that um, around halfway. Do you want to talk us through a little bit about, around what was going on there and sort of how your recovery has been from that? Yeah, so unfortunately, I don't think, I think it's the first race I haven't finished since I was like 15 years old. So um, I think anyone who runs, you go into any race, you don't want a DNF. That's like first rule of thumb. If you, if you can finish, you finish in unless there's a, a good reason. So um, yeah, unfortunately, I had a few complications with COVID coming off um, early in the year. Um, and then was kind of, yeah, trying to rush to get back for the world indoors um, in Serbia. So um, yeah, I, I ended up uh, getting uh, some inflammation around my heart. Um, so unfortunately, yeah, obviously didn't go well in that race. I didn't kind of know until I did that hard effort in the race that um, everything wasn't, wasn't so good. Um, and then, yeah, obviously took it easy from then. Yeah, I've worked back in the training since then um, and now fully healthy. So I'm hoping that stays going towards the European season. Um, is, I think you, you had COVID around the sort of Christmas New Year period. And is, is it true that I think he was down in Tassie for carnivals, right? Um, you were staying with some guys in one apartment. You switched apartments because it was too loud or it was annoying or whatever. And then the apartment you went into, everyone ended up with COVID. Is that, is that like the unluckiest story ever? Yeah. So unfortunately, I, had, I was actually in my own room down there. And then um, they had a few more sprinters coming in. And I'm just like, oh, I'm happy to jump in bunk beds with the four other guys um, and then yeah slowly day by day unfortunately one went down the next went down um, I kept like not not failing any of the rat tests um, but I slowly knew it was coming so I kind of had locked down and was ready for it for it to happen because um, yeah the third guy was literally sleeping above him so I was pretty pretty confident I was gonna go under at some point <laughs> it's uh it's also an eye-opener that like the best runners in Australia sleep in bunk beds when they go away you know we go to like races around Australia and we want like these really nice Airbnbs or great hotels and poor Stewie's in a bloody bunk bed. Um, uh, last question on that. I mean, you sort of said that you, you couldn't, you didn't really know that you were still having these sort of lingering effects until you tested yourself in a race effort. Have you been able through training to sort of 
test yourself again so you kind of know it's past you or is it one of those things that just will, has gone away over time? Um, so basically, yeah, it's just a little bit of met. Like obviously I got, like had the heart scan and stuff and it kind of showed the, the inflammation around there. Um, I kind of had a, a, like I think with most runners you get pretty good at knowing how if something's not right, you kind of feel a little bit off. So I kind of had that sense something wasn't right um, leading into Box Hill. Um, but yeah, obviously got the scan and then showed the inflammation. Then I just had to kind of um, obviously take some medication and then go easy for a little bit. Um, and then yeah, finally got a secondary scan a couple of weeks later and it showed it disappeared um, and, and then on there like, yeah, you're right to get 100% back into training. So um, since then I felt good. So hopefully, um, yeah, it stays that way. Uh, you mentioned heading over to Europe. What's the immediate focus there? I mean, I know Diamond League starts in about a month. Is, is the plan to go and hit some Diamond League? Is the plan to go and run some longer stuff on the track? Do you, have you kind of got your race schedule worked out yet? Um, so the, the first half of the year is pretty sorted. So I think I'll open in um, Doha Diamond League um, halfway through May. Um, so I'll kind of work out, I probably need to do some kind of race before that one. Um, so I'll try and do a local race at some point, whether I do Gels Park Relays or one of those races. Um, this is like a hit out. Um, and then I think the, the next one's Oslo Diamond League a couple of weeks after and then Prefontaine at the new track in Oregon um, following that. So that, that will be, um, yeah, a nice way to start the season. Not too many Diamond League competitors get to uh, open with the Gels Park Relays. So there you have it. <laughs> um, and, you know, obviously, like, the, the big sort of um, dangling carrot for everybody this year is, well, I mean, there's, there's two, the main one being world champs, but then, obviously, Com Games as well. Um, uh, we've seen some good Aussie performances so far this year. Um, we know you, you, you love the 1500, but you've also got amazing range at the 5 and the 10. Is it all about the 15 for you, or are you looking at potentially seeing where you can slot in for world champs? Um, I think it will kind of come down to how, how well I race these early races. Um, I'm not sure whether I'll fit a 5k in um, in the racing schedule before the majors. So I might be looking at just doing the 1500 at uh, hopefully um, both championships. If, I, if I'm lucky enough to get selected, um, that is. Um, but You think there's much... Uh, like, uh, we can drop the modesty. Like, yeah. I, think, <laughs> right. I think you want to pick yourself. So I guess you kind of got to wait until you're selected anyway. But um, yeah, I'm ho hopeful I'll get picked um, and then... Yeah, obviously, as you said, we've got double major this year, so Commonwealth Games and World Champs. So I think the major each year, you have a lot of other races throughout the, whether it's Diamond League or European or even domestic season, you have a lot of races that you put a lot of importance on. But I think every year the major is where you kind of rate your season on how you go. So um, for us, yeah, Com Games and World Champs is going to be the defining moment this year. Um, and then obviously every other year from there, you have a major coming up. So that's kind of the most important race you'll have. You are someone who does, you do a lot of racing, uh, and I, I think MTC generally do a lot of racing, but it's a really interesting contrast to groups like Bowman, who's probably, you know, the biggest or most well-known group in the world, who do very little racing and do a lot of time trialling and sort of only come out for, for major meets. Like, you rarely see them at Diamond League, for instance. Are you someone who thrives on racing? Do you need racing to know how you're tracking? Do you just like the competitiveness of it? Like, how do you find that? Um, yeah, I think for me, I kind of um, need that competitive race. Um, I feel like to get better, you've got to try and race the best guys. Um, whether you want to know whether guys are way better than you or whatever, um, you kind of want to take on the best guys, not, not kind of hide from them because at World Champs, Olympics, wherever, you're going to end up facing them anyway. So um, you've got to learn to compete. Um, and I think for me, that's the big thing. I get over there and try and um, get confidence from racing um, or if races don't go well, you kind of work out that you're not doing something right and try and um, improve 
improve for the races coming up. So um, I think, yeah, racing a lot, you kind of get a good indicator how you're going and you kind of um, will progress um, moving towards the ultimate goal, which is, yeah, generally the championship. What, what did you learn from, was there anything you learned from the Tokyo experience that you're not learning in other, because you do a lot of, you know, championship style racing. You could even argue that some Diamond League meets are championship style meets, rather. They're not run for pace, they're run for, you know, position and place. Was there anything that you took from Tokyo and just thought, shit, I didn't know that, or wow, that was a good lesson for me to learn that you, you, you're not getting anywhere else? Um, yeah, I think the hardest thing with championships is just the rounds. Like, there's no easy rounds. In the 1500, you have three rounds. The first round, you're racing the, the best 48 guys in the world. So um, you can't just cheat your way through the first round thinking you're going to get the semi easy enough or the semi to the final. Every round's so hard. Um, you're giving it 100% as if it's your last race. Um, you're not looking too far ahead. So I think that, that's the hard part. You've got to get used to being able to back up every second day for a round if you're lucky enough to get through. Um, but then I think the big thing about the Olympics is obviously you're in a village, um, which is a lot different. Like in the European season, you'll fly in the day before a race, race, you'll fly out to the next location, training camp, wherever. But with the Olympics, you have a lot of time where you've got a lot of distractions. Um, everything's different. Um, you probably spend two weeks in there. You're, you're not, not used to any of the training locations. Um, you got the dining hall. There's just like a lot of variables. And I think mentally, that's the hardest part, not to, not to drop the ball, not, not to eat the wrong things um, and kind of focus on the processes you know that have previously worked. Um, so I think that village kind of, kind of lifestyles, um, mentally probably more than physically, the, the biggest thing I learned um, at Tokyo last year. And I think hopefully that will hold me in good stead for if I'm lucky enough to make future championships. When, when it comes to, um, you know, the rounds and, and especially the final, like, I don't know how many 1500 meter races you've raced throughout your career, but a lot. How much input does someone like Nick still have in, like, does he talk tactics with you before a race or does he say, you know, watch out for this guy or he's going to do this or you should do this? Or is it just like, mate, you've raced enough 1500 meter races over your time. You know what you're doing, like go and do it. Like how, how much input is there from outside? Yeah, I think it's just such a big moment in your career. I think as any kid, you kind of thinking, oh, if I could even make an, any international team, but I think Olympic finals, you just have so many distractions. Um, you kind of stand at the pinnacle where you've dreamt for years. Um, so I think Nick definitely just kept it simple. He was kind of just like, just back yourself in, run 110%. If you cross the line, you know you've given it everything. You're going to walk off happy no matter what. So um, he didn't really have any tactics. He kind of just kept it simple. Um, and yeah, just just enjoy the moment because um, yeah, obviously it's it's been a big goal just to try and get there, um, but yeah, just give it your best as well. So he kept, kind of kept it simple, which um, I kind of like. I really, I think with my running, I don't, I try and not overthink it too much and just go out there, give it 110%. And then if guys are, are good enough to beat me, they're good enough to beat me. And you can kind of live with the result knowing that you've um, gone out there and just given it everything you had on the day. Um, on that, you know, I think about um, last year's 1500, national championships or, or other races where you've raced against like you know we've got some really great Australian talent in the 15 now um what separates you know um and without like you naming names but like you know if we've got Ollie Hoare and Rambo and Jai Edwards and Rory Hunter and blah 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 and Jude Thomas coming through and we've got all these great like other 1500 meter runners coming through what separates any of you is it you know, when you think about what separates you from the next guy, is it 
natural ability? Is it that you work harder? Is it you're a smarter racer? Is it that your training's different and your training's better? Like, what what, what is providing that half a percent difference between all of you guys? Yeah, I think in any top-level race, um, any Diamond League, everyone on the start line is an amazing athlete. Um, there's mil- like, m- like small percentages separate the best guy in the field from the worst. Um, so I think a lot of it comes down to obviously the physical preparation. If you can get that right, it's going to give you advantage on hopefully your competitors. But I think the other thing is that mental side as well. You've got to be willing to, to give, give it everything you had. You've got to be ready to out. Uh, mentally push harder than your competitors as well. Um, obviously, tactics do come into it, um, but I think a lot of it comes the, not only the physical preparation, but that mental side as well, making sure. I think the big thing is that self-belief as well. Um, when you're on the start line, you're thinking you can compete um, and just little things like that, I think, come into ultimately making um, a pretty pretty solid athlete. I was talking to uh, Joel Tobin-White about you yesterday. Uh, talking about some potential question options and uh, he definitely gave me some ideas of where not to go with the conversation. But um, one of the things he said, and, and I know Geordie Williams has actually said this about you before as well, was like coming up as a junior and stuff, you were always obviously a good runner, but you were never, you weren't the, the athlete you are now. Um, you know, and, and those guys talk about, well, I don't know if Joel's ever beaten you, but Geordie sort of would say that coming up, he used to be able to, you know, beat you and, yeah. and then something happened one day and it was like, well, shit, I can't beat Stu anymore. When you weren't the athlete you are now, when you were just an average sort of runner or you were just coming through, did you, did you know that this is where it was headed? Like, did you, did you have that belief that like, hey, one day I'm going to be the best and I'm going to make Olympic teams and I'm going to be this, this amazing athlete or were you just running because you were running like was it has it always been about being the best or was there a period where it was just hey this is just something fun that I like to do with my mates yeah I think it's a progressive you kind of um just you got to enjoy it to start with um and I think any runner knows you got to be resilient I think you're going to have injuries you're going to have setbacks things are going to go wrong you're going to underperform in races um end up finish seasons disappointed whatever but I think that's that's how you get good you kind of ride those those disappointments, those waves where you aren't like things are going wrong. Um, you got to, yeah, you got to be pretty thick skinned because, um, yeah, not everything's going to go to plan. Especially for me as a junior, I was kind of never winning races. I was probably at best fifth, sixth, seventh in races. Um, I'd never get to stand on the podium or anything. But I think that kind of those disappointments where you're, you're not the best because there's always someone better than you in no, no matter what kind of race you do. Um, you kind of, yeah, you get pretty resilient um, and that kind of drives that, that hunger to get better. Um, I think the, the big thing is no matter the level you get to, you always got to re- like remain hungry because for me, it's, you're not really worrying about what other people are doing too much. Um, you're always thinking, can I get better? I, my preparation, I didn't do this right. I think I can get better. Mentally, I can get better. So yeah, it's kind of that, um, that want to keep getting better. Um, and obviously, I wasn't a great junior, so me get better was pretty easy back then. But um, I think every, every year, no matter how old I get, um, how, how wise or if I think I've improved, I still think that um, I'm still a long way off. What I'm, I'm hoping I can get to, um, whether I can or not, I guess we'll find out. When you, like, you know, when you go for an Olympic final or you're, you're winning Diamond League meets, um, you know, and then you come back to race at Box Hill or in Sydney or at Gels Park, right? Like, 
I think that's one of the great things about running is you can be like literally in an Olympic final with the best runners from assembled from all over the world and then a couple of months later you're like at Gels Park and it's a cold Saturday and no one gives a shit, right? Um, when you're at those sort of races where you are kind of, you know, the favourite or like this, this sort of top dog, do you feel like people people want to take Stu McSwain? Like every, every, every runner that lines up against you would love to say one day, hey, I beat Stu McSwain in a race one day. Like, do you feel that? Um, I'm not sure. Um, I think, yeah, you kind of just focus on yourself, not, not to worry what anyone else is doing. But um, I think it's kind of the process whether I'll, like, I'll ra hopefully race Joel's Park, fingers crossed um, I get to do that. Um, but you're kind of looking at the long-term process, like I'm using it as a hit out um, to see where I'm at and hopefully progress from there. But um, yeah, I think any race, it doesn't matter whether it's a Diamond League or it's an AV race, you, you're doing it for the enjoyment. Um, you love getting out there, you love competing. Um, and probably even a lot of those domestic races you get more enjoyment out of because like Joe's Park, you're in a relay, you're with your mates, you're in a team as well. So um, it kind of is a diff different avenue of running and it's kind of, um, yeah, helps you find why you run in the first place, um, that you enjoy doing it. Um, not so much about trying to win big races or whatever, just actually enjoying the, the simplicity of running um, and the social side with your mates as well. Now, most of our audience, or, or the ones that I know anyway, are probably tend more towards, like not a lot of us are running 1500 meter races, right? Like I know most people here are, are 10K or half marathoners or, or marathoners. Um, you raced a half marathon in uh, September over in the UK, 62 odd. Um, and you've, you've obviously like done a, a billion long runs further than that, but um, was that your first half mara in a, in a race? And what was it like? Um, yeah, for anyone who's run a half marathon or a marathon in that huge respect. Um, so I, I had the Diamond League final that Thursday night, um, had been training for 1500. I think I'd jumped around to Prefontaine back to Europe. I hadn't done enough. I definitely had done, not done enough training. Um, I think I'd done one threshold or like long workout in that month because I was just jumping race to race um, and kind of thought the option to run a half came up um, and I'm thinking, oh, it's going to be easy. Like it's not, it's, hopefully I'm compared to 15, it's going to feel like I'm not running that hard. But yeah, I got to 10K in that half and I was like, oh, this, this is crazy. Like, I don't know what these guys are on about. This is so easy. Like, I'm barely breathing here. Like, I'm going to kick down and absolutely win this so easy. And then, yeah, at about 14K, I'm like starting to cramp a little bit. Like, my calf's not feeling so good. By 16K, I felt like I'd been hit by a bus. Um, and I was like, literally like, I went from being, oh, I'm a chance here to being, I don't even think I'm going to finish here. Like, I'm going that slow. So I'm hustling towards a drink tap, trying to get some water to tip on me, trying to freshen me up. And that, yeah, that last 5K, I was going absolutely nowhere. Hit the finish line, was just a pancake on the ground. So um, respect to you guys who can do the half and the marathon. I, I definitely got showed that day that it's not quite as easy as probably um, us shorter distance guys think. So um, yeah, credit, credit to you guys who can, who can do a lot better than us at that. Um, and, and I know you're good mates with Robbo and Robbo obviously Australian record holder in the half. What was your conversation with, with him like the next time you spoke after that race? Did you kind of play it down and say, yeah, mate, it wasn't that hard. It was pretty, it was pretty chill or like did he kind of hold that over you that he's run the, the Australian record? Yeah, I didn't get too many messages from him leading in. Um, do, you think, do you think he was worried? Yeah, I don't know. But afterwards I got a quick message from him being like, oh, about like, mate, it's not that easy, is it? <laughs> so, um, yeah, he's obviously amazing on the roads. Um, I'd love to hopefully have a crack at another one. Um, Maybe hopefully a bit more preparation, but um, yeah, it's definitely not as easy as I thought it was going to be. So we'll kind of 
Hopefully I can do the shorter distance for a while before I look to try and go to those longer ones. Um, I'd, I'd love to, it, it feels uh, almost disrespectful to talk about career highlights because you're still so young and kind of, you know, in the middle of making career highlights. But it feels like, you know, I probably first met you 20, late 2017, early 2018, and, and you've been like at the top since then, right? Winning, winning national championships and, and then world champs and Olympics and diamond leagues and, you know, also taking part in things like the Ineos 159 challenge and a bunch of um, chapter guys, uh, world record attempts and stuff like that. What's, what's there? Because you've done so much. Like, are there things that stand out to you already? I mean, I think the Olympics is obvious, but are there things that stand out to you as like, shit, I can't believe I got to do that? Or, or things, first national title, like are there things that you hold really special already or is that stuff you'll worry about at the end? Um, I think um, obviously you have personal things that are huge. Like obviously as a kid you dream of being at the Olympics, Olympic final. But I think for me the biggest thing was maybe even that Ineos sub two hours just because you kind of saw – it wasn't just about running, it was bigger than running. Um, and just the amount of people who like, not, who didn't even run, who were inspired to either get out and run or kind of not set limits. Um, and just getting to know Kipchoge from there pretty well um, was just like amazing to see his mentality, what he's like, like as a person as well. Um, not just a great athlete, um, a great guy. And just like the, not, not, he's not only, yeah, brilliant on the track, but just his, his persona um, that he's trying to do, what he, he tries to do for his community back in Kenya. It was just a, a lot bigger than just running. Um, and obviously to see such a milestone broken was probably something that when I finish my career, it's a, a moment I won't forget. So, um, yeah, if I had to pick one, I'd probably go with that. Um, how does it come about that you get invited to, to participate, not that I'm looking to participate myself, uh, a bit busy, um, you know, in things like the Ineos 159 or, you know, when Cheptegei has a, has a 5K world record attempt, like, is that stuff that it, are people coming to you and saying, hey, Stewie, we've got this thing, do you want to be part of it? Or is Nick kind of looking for those opportunities for you? How does that stuff come about? Um, I think a lot of it comes down to the relationships you have with the, the guys. Like, obviously, I've raced... Not so much Kipchoge, but I've raced Chapter Guy on the circuit for a lot of years. I um, know him really well. So a lot of is, it, is, is he like WhatsApping you? Like, hey, Stewie, got this thing I'm going to do. You keen? Like, is it any, any of that? Surprisingly, he actually, even some of like the smallest races, you'll be like, there's no way this guy's seen it. You'll you wake up next day, send you a message, been like, oh, great run. You did this or whatever. <laughs> so that's kind of kind of a bit weird when he's like one of your idols, um, send you a message. But um, yeah, I think for them, they're kind of looking at the, the person you are, whether they want you to, to be involved firstly. Um, and then obviously a lot of them are maybe even too hard for me or someone to do. So they'll have to select from a smaller group who are able to do it. But um, yeah, anytime you get an opportunity to do something like that, you feel like yeah, you're not only, um, it's not fun to, not only fun to do for yourself, but um, to be involved in um, whether Kipchoge's breaking a world record. As, as we said, Kipchoge breaking the two hour marathons, just um, yeah, a feat that's kind of bigger, bigger than just your running and kind of, um, so big, not only for the running community, but people outside as well. Um, I want to speak briefly, and I haven't sort of pre-warned you about this, so I could be about to put my foot in it, but um, uh, the Ingebrigtsens, Jakob specifically, like his rise has been phenomenal. Um, and you guys have had some like, you know, you guys are both kind of coming up at a similar time and having some really great battles. What's your relationship with him like off the track? Um, yeah, really, uh, we're really good mates off the track. Um, obviously, I love racing him. He's probably the best guy in the world, so... 
if you want to race anyone, it's him. Um, but yeah, I think I'm in, as much always what he's been able to achieve. Um, I kind of hate when you hear his age because you, especially when he was 17, you're just like, how am I losing to a junior here? Like, how's he so good? So that sucked, but now he's 20. It's, um, our relationship's probably a bit stronger. But um, yeah, what he's been able to achieve is amazing. Um, and just seeing how, for a guy his age, just his mentality, how mentally tough he is. Um, I don't know how he deals with the kind of pressure he's under. Every time he steps on the track, everyone's thinking he's going to win. He's going to try and break a world record or whatever. So I don't know whether it's a, it was the naivety of youth. He's just so young. But, um, yeah, from what he's able to, to keep turning up and perform, um, especially in Norway, it's a, I think they've only got 5 million people. He's a, like, they call him the Kim Kardashian of Norway, their family, the Kardashians. So, um, yeah, everyone knows who he is. He was obviously one of their big medal hopes for Tokyo. So for the way he was able to handle not only the media stuff he had to do, the rounds, and then ultimately win the Olympics, um, was yeah even crazy for me to be on the on the track and see him do it so um yeah great guy off the track but amazing athlete on it as well um we, we've spoken a lot about your travel and, and obviously you're heading off to do some more so it makes me wonder um who's the worst person at mtc to travel with either sharing a room with or be stuck next to on a fly like who are you just like fuck not this guy again Oh, I don't know if I want to throw someone on the bus here. Um, you can't. It's just us. It's like, it's just yeah. us. Uh, everyone's pretty good. Probably the, the guy who you, you wouldn't want to get for too long is Ben Buckingham, just purely because he, um, he'll talk your ear off. Um, there's no chill. If you're trying to sleep, you're not sleeping. He'll find something to talk about, whether it's the meal coming out, whether it's um, save his spots and no one takes He's got to go to the toilet, whatever. Um, he'll find a way to keep talking. He'll read the magazine. He'll be trying to watch shows with you if you've got the TVs on the back of the seats. So um, obviously it's good value, but if you can avoid on a 12-hour flight, sitting next to him, you're trying to avoid it if you can. I actually really hope he doesn't see this because that'll, that'll cut butts. Yeah, I think it will. So <laughs> fingers, fingers crossed he's not tuned in. Um, now, mate, away from running, um, we, need, we all need a bit of balance. Um, are you still at uni? Yeah, so I'm final year. So I've got two more subjects and I'll be a secondary school um, PE health and English teacher. So um, I've got two more placements. So I'll hopefully knock that one off at the end of this year and one maybe early next year. And then, yeah, finally um, have a degree. I'm the last in my family. So that'd be kind of nice to tick that off and get the piece of paper. And then, um, yeah, obviously when whenever I decide running's done or whatever, I'm going to have to get a real man's job and, um, yeah, hopefully get a, get a teaching gig at some point. Now, I know you would have done plenty of like teaching rounds and work experience and all that sort of stuff. How's that been? Do you wear the, uh, the green and gold singlet into class at all? Like uh, anyone recognize Mr. McSwain? How's that all go? Um, hopefully not. I, it's like the worst thing if they find out you run or something, they think you're really quick over 100. So the amount of kids that will be like, I'll bet you 50 bucks you can't beat me to the other side of the, um, the gym or across the oval and like, at that point, I've been up at doing my session at 5 a.m. I'm hobbling around school. My Achilles hurt. My knees hurt. And they're like, How did, you sure you run fast? Like, you're hobbling here. Like, you, you look like a granddad. So, um, yeah, I try and avoid if they, um, they try and race you too much. Um, keep, keep a little bit harsh. I don't really want to have to do too many races. So, um, yeah, it's better if they don't know you run. Um, and, yeah, obviously try and avoid bringing it up at, um, at all costs. Um, 
Last one for me before we throw it open for, for you guys to ask a few questions. Uh, the Saints are flying, obviously. Uh, it's early in the year, but the Saints are going very well. Um, now, I think the Diamond League final is, is early September, which is great because you might have you know, things on late, late September if the Saints continue playing well. Um, but hypothetically, right, if you had you know, just a run-of-the-mill Diamond League and the Saints made the grand final and they were conflicting, or maybe not a Diamond League, maybe just a run-of-the-mill Euro or US race, would, would you consider saying to Nick that the calf was a bit tight and you didn't want to risk it so you could get on a plane back to watch the Saints in the grand final? Um, I don't even think it would be considered. I think I'd be having a sore hamstring, sore knee, calling an early season. I'd be straight back. I remember in uh, 2020 when we won the first final against the Doggies, I was trying to work out whether I could finish my season just in time to get back to do the two weeks quarantine and make the granny just in case we had it got in. So... Um, yeah, I think it would have to be a pretty important race to avoid me coming back and trying to see it. So um, hopefully Nick's not watching. But, um, yeah, if, if I call it an early season and Saints are flying, um, I guess you guys know why. Uh, guys, round of applause for Stuart McSwain. Thanks, mate. Thanks.